near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 397, a.k.a. Patreon item number 008, August 4th, 2022, the NDE of Wayne H. Welcome back to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official podcast and source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm your host, John Messer. In this episode, Chaz reads the NDE of Wayne H. from the NDERF website. There is a link in the show notes to Wayne's post on the NDERF.org website. We always suggest you go through and read the account because there's so much more that we can't even cover in the podcast. Additional notes that the person adds. Sometimes that really helps a lot to fill in some blanks. As always, Chaz and I thank you for listening and supporting the show in any way that you can. We really appreciate the Patreon supporters. You keep the show financially viable. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And now, Chaz reads the NDE of Wayne H. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, Patreon edition, uh, episode number eight. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, what near-death experiences may teach about life on the other side. Today we're going to share the experience of Wayne from Enderf.org. And this is kind of an interesting experience, one that's a little bit ethereal, uh, what's the word, uh, transcendental in vocabulary, you know, one of these things that it, you know, it's, it's not just, uh, this is what happened and then this happened and this happened. It's a, you know, you got some jargon and with jargon, it's often jargon that the experiencer themselves assigned. And so, and I'm grateful that experiencers do this, even though it can sometimes make it a little bit Difficult to understand what exactly they're talking about, but I'm grateful that they're making effort to explain these things because, as everybody says, these things are just not explainable. And so, if you don't try, then those of us who haven't had the experiences have nothing to go on. And gratefully, we do have something to go on. We just have to uh, wrestle with some of the language that's used. Anyway, uh, so this is by Wayne. And Wayne says, this shows integration into waking reality. And he says, this is the second time shared, 14 months later, 8-18-2007. 
my near-death experience in 1996. I was a pedestrian pushing a disabled car when I was struck from behind. I was between the cars, and the impact was so great it bent the frames on both cars. I regained consciousness on a gurney in, in the emergency room. I knew I was going to die and welcomed the release from pain. Because of my religious upbringing, bringing Southern, Southern Baptist, I was expecting a man in white robes on a golden throne to greet me. As I died, there was a cessation of all feeling, and blackness closed in, and light shrank to a pinpoint. I felt myself falling backwards into the blackness and a cool sensation of wind. I felt myself turn, and then a pinpoint of light appeared in the blackness. I came out into the light and was in an upper corner of the emergency room, looking down at my body on the gurney. I was not disturbed by being dead or by seeing my body on the gurney. I was in a state of euphoria and a sense of perfect peace and being. I had no pain, wants, or needs of any kind. I had a sense of being home. I sensed a presence behind me and then had a communication. This was beyond telepathy. This was not hearing words in my mind and translating them into thoughts. This was knowing as the other presence knew, an instant sharing of knowledge. I had no interest in asking questions or seeing anything. I was completely at peace. I understood that I was to return. At this point, I had my first want, the desire to remain. I wanted to know why I was to return. The wall beyond my gurney became transparent, and I was shown what appeared to be a flowing river. It was silver and shimmering as it flowed. The drops in the river were each a different color, yet all flowed together as one body of water. Nothing gave me the impression this was actual water or a river, but this is the best description or the best descriptive example that I can that can be given of something I witness for which there are no words. The main body of the flow was silvery, shimmering lights with differing or with different colored drops in the flow. I understood I use this term because I did not actually hear the colored drops were the experiences of all who had lived. The experiences existed as separate items, yet belonged to the whole. The whole was the collective knowledge of all. I understood there was no individual, just one, yet each experience was an individual making up the whole. This concept of one is so foreign to any description I can give, there seems to be no way now of describing it. My previous understanding of one was a single uniqueness. In this case, one is something else. Many being one and one being many, both existing simultaneously in this and in the same space. Or, let's see. Both existing simultaneously in the same time and space. I further understood that the collective experiences are omniscient knowledge, everything that has been spoken, heard, and experienced. These colored drops contained each experience down to the memory of every cell division, every thought. 
All experiences were known at once by the collective consciousness that was the stream. Any experience could be known as if it were a first-person experience happening at the time it happened originally. It was then that I was made to understand why there is no man on the golden throne to pass judgment on me. I had the first-person experience of the one called Jesus. I had his entire life. Remember, time doesn't exist. His name was not Jesus, something more like Josephus. He had a regular mom and dad, no God intervention. He had a difficult birth and an NDE during birth. He had a difficult childhood because of his near-death experience. He knew too much. As he got older, he began to tell people about his experience. He told people not to fear death because they would live forever. He told people that after death there was perfect peace and perfect state of love. He told people that everyone was exactly the same and everyone could know who they really were and awaken to their spiritual self. He drew a small crowd of followers. After a time, some of his followers followed to form a religion and replace the Jewish priests because of the money and power. He cast the power mongers out of his following. Five of them conspired against him. At his trial, there were three witnesses against him. All were his followers. He was hanged, not crucified. He was just a petty criminal to the Romans. Being in a hurry, the Romans cut him down a little early, and his loyal followers carried his body off. He revived, having had a second near-death experience, his second coming, so to speak. He lived for a while, hiding from his five traitorous former friends, the Antichrist, but died after a bit from his injuries. There was no fear or joy from this stream. I use the term river of life to describe the stream. There was an understanding of complete peace, happiness, and contentment without need or want coming from the river of life. I had a strong desire now to join the river of life and felt this was home, where I came from. Touching the river gave me insight into realms beyond realms, universes beyond universes, dimensions beyond dimensions. I experienced infinity. I was shown a long line of experiences in other realms of realities and on other worlds. It was some time later that I realized it was my past lives review of all existences of which I had been part. There were beings and objects unlike anything I had ever seen or heard of, even in the imaginings of science fiction writers I had read. I was made to know that there were an infinite number of realms of existence, and all were part of the One, the Source. The stream had distinct layers of levels that were not divided by any kind of barrier, but each seemed to be of a different density. The one I experienced was the highest level. Where I first came after death was into the lowest level. I call it the between place or lowest level of transition. That stream of consciousness and knowledge is what might be termed the mind of God. I understood I was not to join the river of life at that time. I was to go back. At this understanding, I began to have fears and questions. 
I was again reiterate, or I again reiterated, I did not want to go. I understood I was to go back. I then was made to understand there would be great pain. I did not want to face the pain that awaited me. I understood the pain would be great and it would change and mold me. I wanted to know why and what I was to do. I was flushed with two sensations, one after the other. One sensation was a sense of an action being right that brought a brief moment of total peace and comfort I had experienced. The other sensation was an action of, or was one of an action being wrong. The sensation for wrong was a darkening of the light and cold. At that point, the light dimmed and I felt myself falling backwards into blackness. There was a cool wind and I felt myself turning. There was a pinpoint of light in the blackness and I re-emerged into the light on the gurney and in my body. I was mostly unconscious for the next 30 hours and underwent surgery. I understood from family members I died again but I did not have another experience. And that is the end of Wayne's account. And I'll apologize for two things. One, my voice being gone. I've got uh, some kind of uh, uh, sinus infection, something, you know, uh, cold kind of thing. More like a flu. I had a pretty heavy weekend. (laughs) But uh, um, second thing I want to apologize for is that some of the things I'm going to say are very biased towards me, my view on things. And so, you know, I'm not trying to be unfair toward this experiencer. I I do believe that they had an experience, and I do believe they saw what they saw. I just don't believe all their conclusions that they came to. Specifically, and I want to say this one up front, um, he talks about how he saw that Christ was not born in any divine way. He had a normal mom and dad on earth, and also that he wasn't resurrected, but rather that he, you know, was hung, not crucified, and and they cut him down too soon so that he was able to be revived. And that both during his birth and uh, close, you know, at that time of his death, he had a near-death experience. Okay, now, the possibility of him having a near-death experience surrounding his birth, I think, is highly possible. In, in fact, it it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but as for not being the Son of God, not um, having been crucified and resurrected, I, I just can't accept it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that, you know, this is one of the things that I want to emphasize with this. It's totally okay that not every near-death experiencer or those studying near-death experiences, agree with the conclusions that are made by near-death experiencers. You know, I can totally agree to disagree with this guy. I can totally agree that maybe he saw that. I don't know what it was that he was seeing. I don't believe he was seeing the truth of who Jesus is or what his experience was, whether he saw another person, whether he just saw uh, a version of of what some would consider Christ. You know, I mean, I don't know how to justify what he did see. I just don't stand by what 
he saw, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And yes, it, it leaves a contradiction. It leaves the contradiction that he saw this, and yet other people have seen the divinity of Jesus Christ. They saw his crucifixion. They saw him on the cross. I've heard of at least three different people that saw him suffering, tortured on the cross, which tells me there's a disconnect there. Okay, and then others saw him resurrect. They saw him dead for three days. Well, okay, two if you, you know, do it by Jewish, you know, day accounting, whatever. The first day was the day he died. Second day was the day he was totally dead all day. The third day was the day that he rose. Whatever. Um, if, if you want to make the argument that he was never dead, you could... However, I just think you're wrong, and, and I apologize if that offends anyone. I apologize if it does. But I share this for a number of reasons. I don't think we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I don't think we have to say, well, this experience was made up just by somebody trying to be antichrist or something. I'm not sure that's fair. But I also don't think that, uh, that we have to accept everything that we hear. I mean, uh, let's just look at it for a minute, just to examine it a little deeper. I, I haven't done this yet, so it's not like I'm, I've planned ahead how I'm going to make any kind of argument. But he's, uh, this paragraph that leads up to the part that I don't agree with, and, and I, I use this as, a, you know, as an approach that you might take to any uh, near-death experience that you're like, yeah, okay, I understand what you're saying, I just don't believe what you're suggesting from it. Okay, so he said, you know, so you can use this for yourself. He says, I further understood, okay, he's in the one, this oneness with the universe and so forth. I understood, further understood that the collective experiences are omniscient and knowing. Everything that has been spoken, heard, and experienced. These colored drops contained each experience down to the memory of every cell division, every thought. All experiences were known at once by the collective consciousness that was the stream. Any experience could be known as if it were first-person experience happening at the time it happened originally. Now, I find this interesting because he's arguing for... Not arguing, but he, he claims later that he recognized that he'd had multiple lives, and yet he also recognizes that being part of this one is essentially having all those lives. That it's like he could be any one of the people who have existed through Earth's history, including Jesus. And he could experience that in the sense that he remembered it such, as such. And if he remembered past lives and is also aware of this collective consciousness, there was a stream that made it so that that any experience, as he said, could be known as if it were first-person experience happening at the time it happened originally, that's the end of his words, then why could not that be exactly what he was experiencing when he thought he saw his past lives? As well, might he be... You know, I mean, how many people have there been through history who have had lives similar to Jesus? 
and and the defining things about him that that are kind of like place markers that say, okay, well then that one's Jesus, include his birth as the literal Son of God, and also his death on the cross and resurrection. This person says none of those three actually happened, and his name wasn't even quite Jesus. It was more like Josephus. Well, who's to say there wasn't somebody else named Josephus who had very similar experience and was a great teacher of love and spiritual awakening and had near-death experiences and knew things and could re- you know understand hearts and thoughts and so forth. I mean, there's just lots of possibilities here. I don't have to fully accept his conclusion about Jesus in order to accept that he had a near-death experience. On top of that, and this really muddies the water for a lot of people, I'm afraid, and it would muddy the water for me if I didn't find it a way of bringing consistency to inconsistencies, and that is that perhaps there are different beliefs on the other side. That perhaps what people are seeing and experiencing as knowledge may still sometimes, in some circumstances, still be philosophies yet to be fully explored and understood. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't know everything, okay? You don't have to draw it to that conclusion. But it could mean that people coming to this vast, seemingly infinite knowledge might not have a few misconclusions. Does that make sense? I hope so. And I don't want to uh, muddy the water for everybody to say, okay, well, just forget it. Just forget it. Because I think that in, in the consensus of all the experiences that we read, we get these clear views that we could throw out. And we could just say, you know what? There's contradictions on that side, and we have a hard enough time understanding it. Just forget it all. But there are enough consistencies that I think we can be pretty clear. We know that God existed. We know that Christ existed. And we know that uh, that we all existed. And we know that we will exist again. And yes, there are some people out there that have had near-death experiences and suggest otherwise. But again, we're looking at the consensus. It's very similar to the knowledge that we gain from each other on this earth plane in our exploration of our world, of our understanding, of discussing and learning together. Look how much we know as a people. It's pretty impressive. And are we right about it all? Of course not. Are we right about a lot? Yeah. Do we have a lot of things to learn that we don't yet know we don't know? Well, I'm sure that's the case. But uh, does that mean we should stop exploring because we don't know it all? Well, obviously not. Obviously not. And do spirits on the other side know everything? Well, apparently not. Do they have access to all knowledge? Well, they feel like they do. They have access to some great infinite source of knowledge. Do they always have access to it? I don't know. How extensive is it? I don't know. I mean, we're learning here. This is an exploration. It's totally okay that we don't know all these answers. That's why we explore. I hope that wasn't too... Weird and confusing, but I like it. I, I like this uh, this concept of, of being able to be okay 
with inconsistencies and misunderstandings. That's how we come to learn. That's how we are able to put the pieces together. I mean, things start falling in place as you study things out deeply. Now, in some topics, if you're studying a topic that's, say, you know, flat earth, uh, your flat earth theory, and you're you're just studying it and trying to find it out. You study it deep enough and hard enough, and you're going to find enough holes that you're going to have to bend it. And you're going to have to keep bending that theory until you find yourself believing in a round earth or a spherical earth theory. I mean, a spherical earth theory might just be a flat earth theory that's been bent and adjusted enough to finally fit what seems to be the case. Why can't we take what flat we know about and study it until we can start seeing the bends that give us rise to the understanding of a spherical earth. Maybe that's where we are in near-death research. Maybe we are finding the bends that make it different than what we thought it was, but not completely, utterly inaccurate to what we thought it was. Does that make sense? Anyway, thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you all of you so much for your patronage and your support.